This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello, this is Out to Lunch with me, Jay Rayner. It's a very simple premise. I take an interesting person out to a restaurant I think they're going to enjoy. We order a bunch of food, we order wine where they drink, and um, I grill them to a turn. Today, I'm with the brilliant actor Jason Isaacs. Well, that's very easy on. to snog, Daniel Craig, I have to say. Is he? Yeah. If ever the occasion very come my way. So we always ask our guests if they have any particular dietary requirements. Uh, Jason really didn't, apart from the fact he doesn't drink. So I got to choose from among all my most loved restaurants. And the Game Bird at the Stafford Hotel in London, St. James's, is one I fell in love with the moment it opened. They do British classics and they do them really, really well. Um, and suddenly I was presented with the opportunity to eat there again. So I thought, what could be better? Me, Jason, the Game Bird. It's a delight. Come on inside. Hello, Dave. Hello. Our lives overlap in so many different ways. We should talk about that in the podcast. Oh, we're going to talk about that in enormous enormous detail. do you want to give you a coat to someone? They'll uh, they'll sell it on St James's Street. Fantastic. Um, can we get you a, a drink fizzy or something? Fizzy water. I'm all about fizzy water. Not too near the mic, obviously. How are we on swearing? Oh, we can fucking swear as much Thank as God we like because we're is. also a little bit away from the main room, so the the polite denizens of the Stafford Hotel. So obviously, out to lunch is about eating over tables and things like that. And, and, and here's a, a thought that occurred to me. I, I am a self-confessed. It's not even saying you have to confess. I'm a trekkie. I've watched. Oh, I've watched every episode <laughs> of everything apart. You look from, like you could be in the show, frankly. Thank you. As what, which which well, species? Well, you just look very dramatic. Oh, I, 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 you are, should be an opera singer. I kind of imagine we, we are men of a similar age. I'm we, older than you. You are slightly fair. older. Yeah. We, we know that exactly, don't we? We know that precisely. You can't that, avoid it now. For a point that we're going to get to. OK. Uh, you get a call from your agent. I always like to imagine all theatrical agents basically sound like Joey Tribbiani's agent. Exactly in, the in same. In France. Yeah. I, I got yeah. good news and I got bad news. And the good news is you've been cast in a major, major Netflix series. And the bad news is you're going to have to put on a lycra bodysuit. I'm it's just... more of a gastric band than a suit. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, when you played uh, Captain Lorca in Star Trek Discovery, mm-hmm. was there a moment as a man in your 50s, I mean, you're a fine figure of a man. Thanks very much. Where you did think, oh God, this does require a lycra bodysuit. Well, the thing about Star Trek, I had no idea, frankly, of all the political implications of it, that when it came out, it was this groundbreaking show that had a, a Russian on the deck at the height of the Cold War. It had the first interracial kiss. And it was engaging with the civil rights struggle that was going on outside on screen through fantasy. 
So this, our 21st century uh, iteration has a young black woman in the lead and it has a gay couple and has, you know, it's, it's an all-inclusive future which gives the lie to the increasing divisiveness in the world around us. But in the future, we've all got very similar body types, I have to say. There's very few portly people waddling around the, the, the starship. So we're putting these clothes on and they are, you know, they're unbelievably tight. It's like when you vacuum pack clothes to travel or something. Uh, but it's not slim enough for anyone there. Plus, CBS don't ever want there to be a crease in the clothes. They have to be clothes that are very, very tight. And when you sit down and bend over, they don't crease. And then they give us all these garments underneath that are the 21st century artificially intelligent version of corsets, which, you know, just suck everything out of you. So you can barely breathe. You can't move your ribs and it makes everybody a kind of cylindrical, slightly pyramid shape. Which means if you have a grape, you look pregnant. And it takes half an hour to wriggle into in the morning. I have a particular problem because I move my arms around a lot. And Patrick Stewart famously patented the Jean-Luc Picard jacket tug. So right. it suddenly tug his jacket down. They didn't want to do that. And I didn't want to do that. So they zipped the jacket and the pants together, invisibly. So the jacket and pants are attached. Which means if you raise your arms beyond waist level, you're giving yourself a front wedgie. <laughs> And as much as, uh, you know, it's all encompassing diversity in the future, they're not very keen on advertising gender quite that, that. I had to try out various different versions of dancers' cups and things to make sure that I looked like Action Man or G.I. Joe and was of no discernible gender when I raised my arms up in the air. I couldn't eat till the end of the day. I'd unzip this thing and I'd go... <laughs> as I flopped out of my costume. Hello, Sorry, good afternoon. Arrival of waiter. Hello. And a menu. More menus for you. Fantastic, thank you. Our, our car menu. Thank you very I'll much. I'll give you a few minutes to have a look at the menu in case you don't have any questions. I would be happy to help Great. you. Again. Thank you very much. Thanks thank a lot. Thank you. Well, or was that not the first? Well, the first thing was I don't want to do it. Most of the things I've ended up doing that turned out well in my life, I've turned down initially and had to be persuaded into. And I thought I have no interest in being. First of all, I knew that Enterprise, the, the most recent series, had not been very successful. And secondly, I was raised on Star Trek. I, I worshipped Captain Kirk when I was a kid. And, and uh, I know that Patrick Stewart had done it so brilliantly, and I just didn't want to be a pale shadow of any of those people. So I had no interest in doing it. And then they said, it's completely different. It's not a weekly episodic thing. It's a single story. You've got a fantastic secret. And I had a Skype with a bunch of people who pitched me the plot. And, and uh, I kept on asking questions, like, well, if he's got a big secret, what's his secret going to be? Now, anyone who's listening who hasn't seen it, there's a spoiler alert, you know. Are you going to do the spoiler? Well, I don't think I should, just in case people hey, watch I, it. I, it's I wouldn't, there. because it's still there yeah. on, on Netflix. And but it's I still said, very, very good. Exactly. Well, thanks very much. And I said, uh, well, what is the secret exactly? And they said, well, it's something like this. And they, they laid out 50 different scenarios. And I said... I don't want to be uh, ungrateful, but as an actor, I have to know exactly what the secret is because I need to be able to play it, I need to know what I'm thinking. And uh, the, the conversation went round and round in circles, and I got off the phone. They were all very charming, but very undecided. And I said to my agent, I don't want to do it. I have no interest in doing it. Uh, they said, well, you have another Skype with them. And another Skype with them, and then some various people have been brought in to kind of referee. And a guy called Akiva Goldsman, who, who has an Oscar for Beautiful Mind and, and was kind Screenwriter. of... Screenwriter. Yeah, and was brought in above people. And so... The same conversation ensued, exactly the same, Groundhog Day style. And I said, but it seems like you're not any closer to knowing exactly what the secret is, and that's going to be very tough. And Akiva leant right into the Skype and said, we have no fucking idea, OK? But before we roll, we're going to know what it is, and you'll be part of the discussion. So come and be part of the discussion. And, uh, and that's what persuaded me. Um, so, uh, actually, as we're in a restaurant... We are. I believe you don't do shellfish, is that right? Or do I don't do fish, generally. Right, well, I, that's uh, fine. After that fabulous uh, rendition I'll of the do smoke trolley, I feel... Ungrateful not doing it. No, but I'll do that. I was going to have the chicken and duck liver parfait. Okay, you said parfait in a a marvellous way. I do 
resent restaurants. So, no, parfait's perfectly fine, we're used to it, but there are many, many times they stick a word on there that they know not a single fucking person in the universe knows what it is, and you the, have to ask the waiter. Yeah, there are certain words which are, I mean, have a, you know, Pithivier drives a lot of people nuts. <coughs> nice, what is it? What's it's it? a French pie. Well, it's got to have a particular pattern on it. So that's me, I've got a starter there. Um, what about a main? I did read a review of here, probably your review, actually. Uh, the one I looked said up. it was a love letter rather than a review. Yeah, yeah. That was mine. Yeah. It said something marvellous about the, the chicken Kiev. Um, I think chicken Kiev is a marvellous thing. Truffle butter sounds very good to me. Which would also be quite funny because it would take us back to our a mildly shared 70s childhood. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I will have to have... It's it. like having a prawn cocktail, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think we're ready to order? I think we, we are. are. Yeah? All right. You go first. Uh, I'd like the chicken duck liver parfait, please, to start. And yes. then I'll have the chicken Kiev. And the Kiev. Is there anything green at all on the plate? Uh, uh, I no. feel guilty. In the, not... in the dish, no, we could serve something on the side for you. As well, a down the bottom right. What do, you do with, what do you do with spinach? Spinach, we can do it with cream, with butter, no. with uh, garlic and olive oil. garlic olive That would be lovely, yeah. thank you. And because it's a beautiful thing to watch, I'll have the trolley, the smoked salmon. Yeah, made a mix for you. So, yeah, so do you a mix. A, a mix yeah? is a marvellous thing. And then I'll have the steak and ale steamed suet pudding. Nice. So with mash or chips, what do you prefer? <laughs> mash is fine if I get to it. Yeah, some broccoli with hollandaise sauce. Yeah, hazelnut, that'd be great. Yeah. I'm going to go back. For anybody listening, Jay has a giant cheat sheet here. Um, I have three with, cheat uh, sheets, but I'm going to With many questions, but with impressively small font for, for a gentleman of your age. <laughs> Thank you very much. So here's the thing, which we share... Although we got, probably met 40 years ago. Somehow our well, lives were overlapped. So we both went to Haberdasher's Ass School for Boys Elstree, an independent day school. But a very different school that we went to. I'll tell you why. Because mine was the very last year that it was direct grant, which meant there were no fees payable. And uh, it was socially a much more eclectic mix, I think, than I, the consequent years. I think, I think that's absolutely true. What year did you finish? Oh, bloody hell. 1981. 81. yeah. So I left in 84. So, yeah, there were three right. years between. I remember, and we'll get on to this uh, I later. Hated school. Hated school. Oh, no, I absolutely hated oh, it as well. Yeah. And I, I think at this point I should say we are aware that we are two white, affluent, middle-aged men who are about to wang on about how much they hated their independent... I would argue only with the phrase middle-aged. That's presuming I'm, I'm going to live to 110. <laughs> I don't know how much math you did at school. But I'm just acknowledging the okay, level fine. of privilege that existed yes, in our part. So having acknowledged that privilege... Fucking hated that school. They hated yeah. me. Yeah. Also, I was there, or rather, I was hit my teens at the time. The National Front was uh, riding high in both the polls and kind of general popularity. And there were lots of National Front kids in our year who were wearing, you know, DMs up to their knees. And, and uh, I was a mouthy little Jew uh, who couldn't back it up with fists. And it was it was troublesome. But there were quite a lot of Jews. It has to be said because yeah. it did have a particular not lining up for pugilism. No, 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 no that's absolutely true. It, um, a, a slightly bizarre place in that it was on a campus kind of site out in Elstree, separated. Did you come in by coach from Finchley? I came from, uh, by coach from Edgware. Right. Uh, and I thought I was going to a posh school because I came from Liverpool. And so the idea of, uh, of coming to London at all was terrifying. And they're going to this school, looking at the place. It looked like everything I'd ever read in the Beano or Dandy about, you know, mm. posh people. Uh, and until I went to university, I thought it was a posh school. And then I realised what posh really was. Would you like to start with some red stuff? Uh, no, thank you. Are you? Spoken like a man who has to put on a lycra bodysuit. Um, yes, I'll have one of those, yeah. please. Thank you. I've already been to the gym this morning, so I'm feeling... I played tennis this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lost. Disastrously. Did you? Yeah. 
I'm a tennis addict. I'm an obsessive tennis addict. I play, but also I watch and I read about it and I, uh, I, I think about it. You know, I, when I can, I go to all the tournaments. The Australian Open starts at 11 o'clock at night and goes through to noon the next day, and I watch all the matches live. Well, you've been, you've been nocturnal. Yeah, and I stand in front of the... Te- I don't just sit. I stand in front of the television. I live each stroke. So, that must uh, be exhausting. On Star Trek, I did a very stupid thing. There was a tennis club next door to the studios, and it was open till midnight, and I joined, and they find you opponents. In America, you have a number, a rating, like a golf handicap. So they found me someone who was the same rating, and I, and I was constantly playing new people. And then a director arrived, who was a very keen tennis player, ex-stuntman, really good, and we would go off to work every day and play till midnight. And then... When he'd left, his episode was over. I went on the Sunday morning to play tennis and I played a five-set match. It was like three hours. I look up and there's this director, David, on the balcony. I go, hey, Dave, what are you doing? He goes, I thought I'd stay another day. We'd just get one more game in. And I went, I've just, I just played three hours. And he goes, so? I go, all right, fair enough. So we have a best of five thing. It goes for another couple of hours. And I win. And I win because he's an idiot. He's much better than me. But he beats himself by trying to ace every ball and knock the skin off it. And he's sulking. And I go... Don't sulk. Come on, it's our last day together. It's just pathetic. And he went, would you play again? And I went, all right. And we played again. And so it was seven and a bit hours or something. And the next day, my knees were the size of pumpkins. And I had a big fight coming up with Michelle Yeoh. And the stunt guy said, you can't do it. We're going to have to get a double in. You can't, you can't move. And I went, I am fighting Michelle Yeoh. I don't care what the fuck you have to do. Replace my legs. I am fighting Michelle Yeoh. It's one of the highlights of my working life. And so he sent me to this super sports doctor. So this guy is the Toronto Blue Jays knee guy and something else. So I go and he's there and uh, he goes, so tell me what the problem is. And I said, well, I played tennis for seven hours yesterday. My knees hurt and I can't move. And he scanned them and then he MRI'd them and he goes, your knee's fucked, eh? I said, yeah, I know, I know, but what's, what do I do? And he goes, oh, no, it's, it's fucked. I go, for, but what's the recovery system? What do I do? What do I train? Do I do steroids? He goes, no, that's, that's, good, for, that's good for life now. Your, your knee's fucked. And I went, come on. Just what, do I year? I stay off it? I get a brace? He goes, listen, it's tennis, right? You did tennis? He goes, I know tennis. Come with me. And I, st- I stand up and he takes me into another one of his little chambers. Rich doctors in American Canada have six patients at the same time. And he opens the door and there's Milos Raonic, who is Canada's top tennis player. And he goes, Milos, Jason, Jason, Milos, Jason's a very keen tennis player. And Milos goes, oh, hi, nice to meet you. You're that actor, right? You're in Harry Potter? Oh, good to... And I go, yeah, yeah, it's I love your fabulous service. I'm, I'm totally starstruck because I love tennis players. And I, and I leave and he shuts the door and he turns to me and he goes, so I know tennis players and your knee's fucked. How is your knee? It's fucked. Hello. Yeah. For anyone listening wondering what those noises are, there is a giant piece of fish being carved as we speak. Yeah, so I'm going to start in here to carve our uh, Balvini smoked salmon. Mm-hmm. That is uh, a farmer's salmon coming from uh, Loch Dewar. We marinate the salmon in-house with Balvini whiskey aged for 14 years and finishing Caribbean cask. Jeez. If we look at, you know, the alumni, obviously, Mark Commode. Is yeah. it Kermode? Or? It's Kermode. It's Kermode. Yeah. Mark, was he your year or was he... He was my year and we were... I, in my memory, we were a little bit friendly. In his memory, we weren't very friendly at all. And, and this is one of the interesting things. I mean, maybe it's one of the things I, I like about acting and storytelling and generally narrative. He remembers me completely differently from how I remember myself and, and vice versa. So I always felt like I was an outsider. Like I said, I was skulking in the assault course at lunchtime with my one other outsider uh, loser friend. Uh, he remembers me being socially popular and in, in the in crowd. Well, I never saw 
anybody from school outside school. I remember him as being in a jazz band and always wearing cool suits. And, he always. You know, we're talking. Should we say we're talking about Mark Kermode, Mark Kermode, film critic for uh, the Observer. Until I met you today, my favourite podcaster in the world, of and course. certainly my favourite film reviewer in the world. Uh, but he always looked stylish and great. Was in a band. He did. But he, his memory is that he somehow I had some social status that he aspired to. I remember feeling like a, a terrible outsider and a loser constantly. So, uh, and both of those must be true for each of us, and yet neither is true. Indeed. So that thing. Yeah. You were at school with Mark, same year, and I didn't say what I could have said as you entered the room. Good for you. I know. Nor did you present me with a sock. People go, "Is that the first time you presented with a sock?" And I always go, "What's the so sock what? thing?" I've it's missed from that. Harry Potter. You give me a sock, and you know, Dobby is a free elf, and. and uh, <laughs> They know, there's a bunch of people nodding over there. But, but I feel very bad when I go to conventions or, or anywhere and people walk up with a sock thinking they're the first ones ever to do it and I don't know whether to burst their bubble or go, oh my God, that's never happened before. But it has happened 100,000 times. But you are basically an internet meme. So, uh, yes, I am a meme, yeah. uh, Mark started a well, thing. I'm not a meme, it's a meme. The meme it's is. It's complete divorce. For anybody who doesn't know what this okay, is. Okay, so Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo have this utterly brilliant ra- uh, radio show and podcast called Wittertainment where they do film reviews, but it's not really about film reviews because... Well, it is. I mean, they do review it films. are brilliant. They are subbed by other people who are fabulous film reviewers. I have no interest in listening to them. I read those other people's reviews. But really, you're listening to... It's, like, it's grumpy old men, and it's yeah. their relationship that makes it so great. And it was the first uh, podcast and the best. You know, I'm still addicted to it. Some years ago, I was on Simon Mayo's show, and Simon went, oh, you know you went to school with someone I work with? I said, of course. I, I listen to your podcast religiously. I love it. Say hello to him. So he did that on the show, and, Simon, uh, and Mark Kermode said, well, hello to Jason Isaacs. And for some reason, I can't quite remember why, that became a thing, and part of their thousand in-jokes is to say hello to Jason Isaacs, which then the, le- the readers started saying when they write in, and then people started putting it in their wedding vows, their graduation speeches. Other graphics designers put it in the credits of the Jay Leno show, and it just, it was on in lights in Piccadilly Circus for a while. Now people come up all over the world, they say to me, hello to Jason Isaacs. And all I hear when they say that is, I love Mark and Simon's radio show. It's, like, it's nothing to do with me. Uh, it's completely divorced from me, and... Uh, when it fades and occasionally Jeremy Irons made an intro there will look like he might shove me aside for a while I can't pretend I didn't yeah, feel it but that was yeah. only for about three yeah, weeks yeah. did it take you by surprise when you realised it had actually become a thing I went to launch something called Film Club that Beeman Kidroom was doing which is taking films to schools all over the country and helping them screen films and talk about them do criticism with each other it's a rather fantastic thing it was being launched by Emma Thompson and Alan Parker and Beeman Kidroom and God only knows someone more interesting must have dropped out and I was roped in and I was standing there next to Sir Alan Parker, great hero of mine, a brilliant film director, who obviously wouldn't know who the hell I was. And I said, oh, hello, Alan, I'm Jason Isaacs. He went, oh, hello to Jason Isaacs. And I thought, fuck me, Alan Parker's heard of it. Oh, hang on. We're being, oh, we're being on. I've got some condiments to pair with your you summer selection. Some uh, horseradish mixed with creme fraiche, onion mustard dressing, shallots with capers in more vinegar, some picos cucumber capers and dill. Egg white and egg yolk. I'll take the egg yolk, the uh, cucumbers, and the horseradish. For those people listening, the waiter is on all fours in a speedo with these condiments on the back of his body, and Jay is licking them off. <laughs> well, he didn't. He could it's have, an Italian it, tradition. It, it is, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't whiskey. This is the whiskey, the same whiskey that we used to cure the salmon. Interesting. Okay. If you may spray salmon on top of the Balvini salmon that you got. Go for it. Well, that's, that's the way uh, it comes. How interesting. It's the one uh, on the left. There's a little perfume oh. bottle spraying yeah. whiskey on the smoked salmon. Perfect. And you have Lovely. a quenelle of chicken parfait, which looks delightful. Uh, you go to Bristol mm-hmm. uh, to read law. Only because I had absolutely no idea what to do. 
Up until that point, I'd just done the things that were expected, gone to the school and taken exams and stuff. Um, I went to Bristol. So I was staggering around the union building, drunk, as, ever, as everybody was. And there was a sign saying, can you do a northern accent? And I, was, I went into this room, and I, the one thing I knew I could do, the one thing that was actually you know, <laughs> true about me was that I could, I'm from the north. And I went in and I read this piece... Like all student things. Which northern accent did you choose? Liverpool. I went straight to my natural accent. And I read this piece about someone, I can't remember, it's like having an accent with the Tampax or something. And, uh, and I was cast in a play. I'd never done a play before. And, uh, and then I just found where I belonged. I, I belonged in a rehearsal room with other people. It didn't matter that I, I was embarrassed or self-conscious about my background or my accent because who you were outside the room didn't matter. Did you get any um, classic Jewish parent sort of angst... My dad told Jason, me Jason, are you, are you applying yourself to your law? No, I think they were, they're, they're of that generation, frankly, that they had kids and then forgot about them entirely. I don't remember <laughs> seeing them at all during any of my teens. I went to audition for drama school and uh, I didn't think I would go. I just thought I could, you know, brag about it to the people who didn't get in. It. it was a competitive thing. But a posh woman, a very lovely lady called Jane Cowell, who's a voice coach, came out and offered me a place face-to-face. I always thought that I'd get a letter, but she came out. And what, said, you, went, you went to the audition? Went to the audition. I went to the recall as well. And she came out and said, we'd like to offer you a place. And I stood there, and I still, you know, there was no chance I was going to do it. And so I, she probably read that on my face as I ummed and odd. and she went, she was tall and very stentorian, and she went, I hope you're not fucking us around. <laughs> you know thousands of people apply for these places. You're not wasting our fucking time, are you? And I was so mortified. I went, no, no, of course not. I just, I just I'm so flattered. I just, I, I, well, it's amazing. I remember walking down the road in Eaton Avenue in Swiss Cottage, where the drama school is, thinking... Have I just decided the course of the rest of my life because a posh woman said fuck? Or do I really want to do this? And I decided it didn't matter. And I, went, I, could, I could hide from the real world for another three years. And then I could go and be a lawyer or whatever. And you went to Central, which is a, Central, yeah. a very serious drama school. It's one of the stations of the cross. It's one of the five. Funny enough, when you're in America, they said you go to drama school. And I said, yeah, they go rada. And I still feel the need, even at my age, having had a reasonably decent career, to go... No, Central. It's where Judy Dench went. It's where the Red Crest... Olivier went there. <laughs> established its credentials. But, yeah, it was a proper drama school. And obviously a lot of contemporaries at Central. Yeah, James on. Purefoy and Rufus Saul and uh, Jimmy Nesbitt, for instance, uh, we were at drama school with, who lived with me. I'm going to say we shared a flat. We didn't, he didn't pay any rent. He lived in my room. Uh, I, we, we go to the same gym, so if I right. see him, I'll so I say, how much does he owe you? He didn't work for years. Didn't work for, <laughs> didn't work for years and years. And in fact, I remember we went to stay in Coleraine, where Jimmy's from in Northern Ireland. My wife, Emma, was touring in a production of Accidental Death of an Anarchist with Alan Cumming. And so we went to stay with Jimmy and his parents. It was great. And uh, uh, May, his dad's called Jim and his mum's called May. And they came to the play and they came backstage to see Alan with Jimmy. And, uh, and they said, and Jimmy goes, Mum, this is Alan, this is my mum, May. And she goes, Alan, can I ask you a question? And I go, sure. And she goes, what are we going to do about James? It's not working. You know, I mean, you're married, right? And you're very successful. But Jimmy, really, it's not working out right for him. And he's like, Mummy, could you please? Um, <laughs> anyway, Jimmy, of course, has gone on to be the most successful actor in the country. So what I did get out of drama school was a group of friends. Uh, and we all knew each other when we were kids. Just bring me to a question I, I, I wanted to ask you. It's, it's a Harry Potter question. Go on, then. When that part came along, did you think, yippee, there are seven books? Or... Oh, no. Well, there weren't seven books. Oh, she hadn't finished writing No, them, no, no, no. Well, first of all, I didn't think yippee at all. Like everything else, I wanted to turn it down because I auditioned for Gilderoy Lockhart. 
I did an audition uh-huh. for Lucy's Malfoy. I'd just been offered uh, Captain Hook in Peter Pan, which was a huge break. It was going to be a giant movie. Uh, you know, it was two studios. And, and so I went into an audition for Gilderoy Lockhart, and Chris Columbus, who's a lovely man, and I thought, I, you know, I crushed it. And he said, uh, he said, that was wonderful. Would you mind reading another part? And I went, I'm sorry? And he said, did you read the whole script? And I said, yeah. He said, did you, what do you think of Lucius Malfoy? And I went, um, you know, well, I wasn't really thinking about him. He goes, why don't you go outside, take 10 minutes, have a look at the script, maybe come back in. I went outside and I called my agent and I went, what the fuck is going on here? I want to play Gilderoy Lockhart. I'm sure if I go in and read that it won't be considered for him. He goes, just go in and read. I said, I don't want to. I've, I've just said yes to Captain Hook. I don't want to do two children's villains in a row. That would be nuts. He said, and my agent is, uh, was Alan Rickman's agent. And he said, well, Alan did it. It was all right for him. And I went, well, it's all right for Alan, but I, I just, it's ridiculous. I'm not going to do it. And just then the assistant came to the door and said, you ready? And I went, yes, absolutely. Fine. <laughs> and I went in and I read Lucy Smalfoy very resentfully, which is probably why it went well. And then they called, uh, you know, a few days later and said they'd like to offer me the part. And I said to my agent, say no. Say, thanks very much, but no, I'm playing Captain Hook and it's too similar. And uh, he said, well, take the weekend to think about it. So I don't need the weekend. I know I don't want to do it. And over the weekend, my nephews called and my godchildren called and then strangers called me and everybody I knew called me to tell me that I had to be in it uh, because they wanted to visit the set. They didn't care about my career. They just wanted to come and meet the what other What did people. Emma say? Emma, I think, was planning to... We were about to go to Australia for a year, so yeah. it was more about uh, where we were going to live. Emma's taken almost no interest ever in anything <laughs> I do professionally, which is probably the healthiest the reason we're still married. That, uh, she doesn't, I, I, watch, doesn't watch anything unless she's forced to go to a premiere. Well, that's not entirely true. The um, the Kate Atkinson series. Uh, the Kate series was an exception, Kate but she Sisters. was forced to watch it by her mum and her grandma. She wouldn't have watched it otherwise. Right. Yeah. And then sort of fell in love with the character. She wished I was more like him, but yeah. who doesn't? I wish I was more like him. Um, so uh, here's the thing. You were talking about, uh, you know, drama school and people's success and whatever. If you watch all of the Potter movies in quick succession, the thing that's quite striking is... Then you have a problem. Well, you do have a problem. (laughs) But uh, every single great British actor who's ever drawn breath has been in those films. Was it ever kind of slightly embarrassing coming across any of the great British actors who never got cast in a Harry Potter movie? Oh, I see. (laughs) I, I look at them and you think... Everybody is in these. I did feel slightly smug that the you know the gates were closed. I felt in two thousand eight to this very exclusive club that I didn't feel like you know I, I well, really truly belonged in. Exclusive, I mean, <laughs> but then no, but then the Fantastic Beasts gets, gets made, oh, and, that's uh, true. and suddenly there's a whole new bunch of opportunities. No, I did. I mean, there were many days I'd look at the call sheet and think, I cannot believe my name is printed on a piece of paper alongside these other people, and they nod and say hello to me in the corridor. There was a, when we were shooting the last film. There was a, there's a big battle sequence, so everybody's of in. Of course. And, uh, and it took... It, it would have been weeks anyway. We were all stuck, in the, stuck there because it was raining. We didn't shoot. And on any other film, they'd be panicking. People would be put, tearing their hair out. It cost a fortune. I remember seeing David Heyman and David Barron, the producers, and going, oh, I'm really sorry about this rain. They went, oh, it doesn't matter. Because only on that film does it not really matter that it rains for two weeks. But we were stuck in a uh, tent. It, it didn't matter what, because the films were going to be so films enormously successful made, yeah. and nobody cared. Yeah, it was going to be fine. But... Most American films, I think, people will go back to their trailers. We all sat in a big tent, eating eating cold tea from an urn that was solid, listening to Julie Walters tell stories about her pig farm, and falling <laughs> over, Julie Walters and Jim Broadbent just entertaining everybody, and me thinking, I can't believe that I get to do this. It was amazing. There was another, uh, the other thing about that scene, I remember we were sitting around for weeks watching Rafe do a monologue, just, right, you know, Voldemort's mincing back and forth. Rafe doing his stuff. Rafe yeah. Fines, yeah. And... Uh, uh, Helen McCrory at some point who plays Narcissa who's one of Britain's great stage actresses who played all the leads at the RSC and National went and, and one of your henchmen or one no of she's my co- wife she was my wife oh she does yeah, yeah. Your wife. Yeah. she went oh, god I don't know how you put up with this for years it's just it's impossible 
standing watching someone else do all this. Oh, God. And I, so I, she, that got into me, and I started to feel resentful. I was thinking, God, I've got, I've got three lines coming up next week in this scene, and apart from that, I've got to stand and watch Rafe the whole time. And I looked over, and I saw Jim Broadbent, who's got an Oscar, and Judy Walters has got an Oscar, and Maggie Smith has got an Oscar, and I thought, they haven't got any lines. <laughs> I've got a great part. I mean, that was, that was a hilarious thing about these films. There'd be the most extraordinary cast doing a lot of looking. You know, when you get the job, you think, oh, it's great, I'm in this thing, but it doesn't really, it's not going to take any work. It's not acting, uh, Jim, as we know, you know, but, but, uh, but it's fun. It's, it's more like panto. And then you get opposite, my first proper scene on the well, first day, I think, was opposite Richard Harris. And we're chatting away, and he's telling me these filthy, jaw-dropping stories about the 60s. He might have been drunk for 30 years, but he has perfect recall for all the terrible adventures he got up to. And he played Dumbledore in the first two? He played Dumbledore for the first two. Yeah. And then I stand opposite, and we're going to do the first take of my first day. Uh, and it's at the end of the film when he dismisses me from the room, and he just says, thank you, Lucius, that'll be all. And I leave the room. So I stand opposite him, and they roll five cameras or something. They go action, and he just looks at me. And, he, and, and I look at him, and he doesn't say anything, he narrows his eyes, and I look at him, and I think, poor fucker, he's forgotten his line. I've distracted him with all this talk of the 60s, and I'm not going to be the one to tell him it's his line, it's not my job, but no one else is speaking. The silence goes on for what seems like ages, and he starts to sweat, I think, and then I start to sweat, so I suddenly think, maybe it's my line. Maybe I'm distracted by this talk of Marilyn Monroe. And Jesus, it's my line, my first day, I can't remember. And just when I got to maximum panic and the sweat was on my eyeballs, he went, thank you, Lucius, that'll be all. And I thought, you fucker. <laughs> this is, people are actually bringing out their A-game for this stuff. And, uh, yeah, now people were doing phenomenal acting uh, in as much as, you know, you're playing wizards. I didn't think I'd ever get to act with Gary Oldman. And, uh, and then I'm there being a wizard and he's punching me in the face. But actually... It's as hard to do that stuff, like with Star Trek. It's harder mm. to do the unrealistic stuff and make it believable than it is to do naturalistic stuff. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right. I had an experience once with somebody who wanted to, um, like, role play, uh -huh. like, um, like with relative stuff. No. Yes. No. That's a and hard I couldn't. Pass. And I said, I said, um, they no. wanted. They first said, da like, dad, daddy, oh, and, and, and I said, um, well, that's not so bad. But um, so I suggested maybe, like, I said maybe the most I could do is uncle. <laughs> Okay, so that was just a snippet of an episode with actor and podcaster Justin Long. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and I'm telling you, you need to listen to the full episode on my podcast, Dinner's on Me. Over a meal at Pine and Crane in downtown LA, we get into his love story with Kate Bosworth, his career, and so much more. To listen, just search Dinner's on Me wherever you listen to podcasts. Early on, you did quite a lot of theatre. Yeah. Straight out. Yeah. Um, famously, Angels in America. Yeah. Did you think that it was going to be a, the yours would be a theatre career? Yeah, because it's a theatre school, and I'd only done plays up until then. But something terrible and wonderful happened, which is that I did a couple of plays, and then I did Angels in America, like you said, in 1992, and, uh, and it was so magnificent. It's the best play I've ever encountered. For people who don't know what Tony Kushner's... Tony Kushner, a two-part... 
Uh, two three and a half hour plays. He called it a gay fantasia on on national themes or something. It was political. It was people were laughing, people were crying, people were thinking. It was a it, it's a wild, magically realist fantasy political sprawl. It's everything basically. Uh, I, I'm loath to try and summarise it, but it, it's the best play that I've ever seen or come across or been in. And it had this profound effect on an audience you could feel, to the extent that still decades later people write to me when they're facing some seemingly uh, different situation in their life and they're drawing on something they saw a character go through. But near the end of it, I was sitting in the wings uh, looking a bit depressed and the two older actors walked by me and they said, you're right, Chase. And I said, I was just thinking that whatever else I do in my life, professionally, nothing will ever touch this. I mean, it won't even touch the, the base camp, you know, of this. And they went, instead of saying, don't be silly, you're a young man, they said, we were just saying in the dressing room how glad we are it's come at the end of our careers. I mean, it was really... It, so, uh, although I've done a few plays since, yeah. very rarely, and they've been successful, you know, notionally on paper, they're sold out, whatever, nothing has touched it. And so I'm, I'm kind of loath to go on stage again. Famously, so you got to snog Daniel Craig. I did more than snog. We were naked under a sheet for uh, an hour or two every night, and uh, I used to drag him to the showers and make him shave. I got stubble rash from him. <laughs> We would tug each other's privates just to keep the scene interesting. Uh, yeah. We had to do something um, while that's Very easy on. to snog, Daniel Craig, I have to say. Is he? Yeah. If ever the occasion very come my way. Yeah. Uh, at that oh, point, wow. here comes a wow. very oh, buxom chicken Kiev, which it has to be said looked nothing like the chicken Kievs of our 70s no. childhood. Yeah. Oh, that's that's probably oh. years off. We've just entered an S and M dungeon. I'm being given some kind of leather. Maybe the I've never seen this you. happen before. So this <laughs> is a leather bin because yeah. it explodes with butter. Yeah, right? could, could explode yeah. too. Yeah. Good. Keep you safe. Yeah. So yeah, famously, chicken Kiev yeah. has a, a big centre of garlic butter. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're going to this take case truffle garlic butter. Truffle garlic butter. There's truffle on top of the mashed potato. How exciting! And let's see what happens. This reminds me very briefly of a small aside. I went. I did a play. Thank you very much. The second play I did at Bristol was called The Glory of Love, and uh, they said, we're going to Edinburgh with it. And I went, I don't, what does that mean? They went, it's a theatre festival. We take the thing up there, and, and uh, I went, oh, that's, that's great. And they said, we pay to go. You have to get money. And so we take it up there, and it is a play about a rent boy and a Tory cabinet minister, and it ends with me getting castrated with cheese wire and exploding with blood. And I used to do a lot of magic, so I could palm a blood bag. Mm. They see me naked, I pull my underpants up, I put a blood bag in. Someone pulls the cheese wire and blood explodes all over the stage and people vomited at Bristol and people ran out of the theatre up there. But we borrowed from a sex shop in Bristol some leather manacles and uh, whatever, the footicles, whatever, bind your feet. Uh, kind of, thanks very much. This thing that, that, that uh, tied your hands and feet together and then to each other. And uh, we took it to Bristol. Uh, we took it to Edinburgh. And at the end of the summer, we borrowed various other sex toys from them as well. At the end of the summer, we returned them, uh, but the leather thing was stained with blood, fake theatre blood. So we said, well, I'm really sorry. It's stained with blood, I'll have to pay for it. They went, oh, no, we'll charge extra. Fantastic. <laughs> we'll put it in the window. <laughs> I don't know whether to eat this or just smear it all over my body. Just lie there. Um, in, in terms of the... Well, look, you've, you've got to get past a leather thing, which you're still yeah, yeah. wearing, despite the fact... Which I think, actually, is probably going to protect your shirt. Um, it's a good idea. I was told to dress smartly today, and I went... I don't dress smartly. That's why I'm an actor. I hate suits. I hate ties. Probably because of school. My wife thinks I like living in California so I could dress like a skateboarder till I die. So I put a shirt on for you, Jay. I hope you feel... Thanks very much. Would you normally have come bare-chested, then? Uh, I'd have come in a manky old T-shirt. I have thousands of T-shirts because I keep them... All the ones when you finish a job, they give you a T-shirt with the logo of the programme on. But obviously I can never wear anything from anything I've been in because it's incredibly naff, like walking around going, look, oh, look at me, did you see this? Um, 
So I have a cupboard that is absolutely bursting, and I wear the same three black T-shirts on rotation in rotation. Thanks very much. with the main courses? Yes. Yeah, that was Thank delicious. Oh, that was the main course. Good. Okay, yeah. good. Thanks. Yeah. You'll be fine. Yeah, it's a strange thing. You're still wearing your leather. Beard. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's the strange. Like I'm you to a torture garden in Soho. Yeah. Uh, dessert. Uh, I see. I don't normally have a dessert. No, so is he no. lying through his teeth. Oh, go on, do but it. What are you thinking? You've been here before. Well, you, you can't literally. You What's literally a tonka can't. bean. A tonka bean. They used to turn I up. I remember in tonka, tonka trucks. Now tonka beans used to turn up in potpourri as a kind of fl- um, smelly. They've got a slightly musty oh. flavour. Uh, um, but I'm kind of taken by the salted caramel souffle. You're, you're, sorry, I, I was curious about it. Now you're selling it as something that was in potpourri that's musty. Well, tonka beans were. They turned, work up, here, they turned up as an ingredient on menus about 15 years ago from almost nowhere. Right. Somebody started using them. They've got a, they're slightly... Tonkas are back. Tonkas are back. We could get, you know, a, a couple and two I, spoons. Is there anything there that you actually like the look of? Yeah, yeah, no, I'll order something. All right, and I'll order something. I'll order something last minute. I, I look and I, I'm very indecisive. Uh, well, he's approaching, he's approaching oh, he's us approaching now. Stealthily. So. Okay. I'm thinking about a salted caramel souffle. But I'm nervous about tonka bean ice cream. I've it's fine. It is fine. It's, it's lovely ice cream. It's got this slight sweetness. Yeah. Even, even I would say a touch of um, vanilla could remind a bit. Um, oh, that's good. I was hoping you'd say. Yeah, that. It's, it's not. It's not. It's not offensive. If, uh, that's me. And a mint. Uh, a mint tea. Thanks. And, and, a fresh mint tea, yeah. and I'll have the nice. lemon meringue parfait in a mint tea. Thank it's you. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Is that part of the pleasure of your job that you travel the world, and you come across? Different, different food style. Yeah, the food style. I mean, I'm obviously, I'm slightly obsessed. We went <laughs> to do Black Hawk Down. We went to train with the uh, Rangers in Fort Benning, and we met the survivors of that terrible battle that night in Mogadishu. And we met the families of the dead, people who died there. So it was an onerous responsibility. We felt they were telling a real life story. Mm-hmm. And we had to do it honourably. And then we got to Morocco, and uh, during that week that we were in Fort Benning, I was notionally in charge of them because it was a week long improvisation. Of course, I'm not in charge of. Uh, Ewan McGregor or Josh Hartner, and the, but, but uh, the character was. So I'd somehow become the unofficial godfather of the group. So we're on a coach from the uh, airport and we passed the McDonald's and they're like, yeah, let's stop and get a McDonald's. And I went, guys, I took the microphone and I went, we're in Morocco. Let's honour the local culture. Let's have a Moroccan meal. It's going to do something traditional. It's beautiful. You're going to love it. It's, I've, I've filmed it before. You can, so we go to this place where a guy with a fez and a lantern leads us down an alleyway and we go into a beautiful old Riyadh where they bring out metze, you know, thousands of different dishes. And Josh Hartner, who's a very sweet boy, well, a sweet man now, but he was, he was 21 then, he said, uh, could you ask for something vegetarian for me? And I said, well, Josh, these are all, because I speak French, sorry. I should have said, Morocco, they speak French and Arabic, and if sure. you don't, you know, so I... You can uh, certainly get by on French. Yeah. So I said, well, Josh, the carrots there are... are Vegetarian and the aubergines. He goes, I know, but you never know what they're cooking in. Could you ask for something? And I said, All right, sure. So I said in my best worst French, he doesn't eat meat. Could you please bring some vegetables for him? And the guy says, Well, the carrots are there. And the aubergine, <laughs> I go, I know, I know. He's uh, he's American and he likes something. You know, just made it from fresh. So he brings out some, I think, an aubergine. Like it's a purple shiny dish or something. Josh tastes it and he goes, That's delicious, man. That's really nice. Could you find out what it's called? And I said, what is it called? And the guy says something. And I go, okay. I, in, in English or in French? And I go, oh, gee, I'm never going to be able to order this thing again. And uh, Jessica goes, can we have some more? And I go, yeah, yeah. I said, can we have some more? What, what, what is this? This is aubergine? And he goes, and I go, I'm so sorry. I don't understand. And he goes, oh, and he puts his finger up and he goes and gets the chef who comes back to talk to us who uh, does speak a little bit of English. And I said, my friend here would like to know what this is, because uh, you made it special and we'd like to have it. And he goes, it's brine, 
And I said, Brian, Saltwater? He goes, no, Brian, from Chet. <laughs> and poor Josh goes, absolutely grin. I went, what do you mean, brain? I said, no meat. He says, not meat, it's Brian from Chet. Make him very clever. <laughs> Josh is in tears. It's a terrible, terrible moment. People tell the story, tell it very differently, but I remember it very fondly. <laughs> you remember it very yeah. fondly. Do you, is it true you also go hunting restaurants, small places? I do. Well, no, I'm, so I'm a Chinese food addict, but in particular, I'm a Sulong Bao addict, which is the, uh, the dumpling soupy with soup inside. Uh, it's an art form. There is a show on Netflix, one episode of which is devoted to just finding the best ones around the world. Um, is that ugly delicious? Is that I the, can't remember, but it, it was, it, you know, it's an ongoing debate how thick the pasta should be, what proportion of soup and meat should be. There's a novelty well, restaurant in New York where they have a giant one, but that's not the point. Well, that's no, no point. So but they're always... Two, two questions. First one. Xiao Long Bao, for anybody who hasn't had them, they are, there is soup inside them. Yeah. They should have 18 pleats across the top. That's oh, the official thanks number. Very much. How do you eat one without disgracing yourself? So the way or I had explained to me by Chinese people in Toronto, because I, I shot starting in Toronto, and I, I always make a pilgrimage to the best places I can find. And the best places are almost always really horrible holes in the wall, you know, oh. formica curling and stuff. Uh, you put it in the spoon, you bite the top off, you pour a little bit of the uh, vinegar and ginger okay. inside, just a little bit, to mix with the soup that's already in there. You suck it all out, and then you eat the dumpling. That's pretty much the way. I mean, apart from the pouring in the vinegar and right. soy mixture, I've always had put it on the spoon. Bite a little hole, suck out the soup, and then you can. What, what, why do they always bring vinegar and, and uh, ginger? If well, not, I dip sometimes. Not... I dip what's left at the end. You yeah, see, no. I mean, there's different techniques. But anyway, I, I love that. Um, the other question I was going to ask you about Zielon Bao was uh, recommendations for. I mean, have you queued at Den Tai Fung yet? Oh, I don't. It's a chain. It's a chain. Yeah, no, I haven't done it. There's yet. a place in Toronto called Yummy Dumplings. That is, you don't want to eat anything else that's there. But there's an old lady from northern China, and she makes makes it by hand. You've got a place where people make it by hand. You've got to go to one-off restaurants. You've got to go to a chain to get Okay, so where do you go? Dumpling Legend in, in uh, Jerusalem. All right, and I love Dumpling Legend. There's not enough soup. Joe's Shanghai in New York. My Xialongbao recommendation is a place on Lyle Street yeah. called Beijing Dumpling. Pork or prawn or, or mixture? Oh, they'll do. What's inside? They're, they've okay. got three or four oh, well, different I'll be types. There. I might go there straight from here. <laughs> if, you, if you look round the front, it, it, it looks like nothing. Right, right. It's a, no, that's a bit what of a toe like. Shanghai. Uh, the mint tea is arriving, which is always a great thing. Fabulous. Thanks very much. Um, worst part you've ever played? Oh, God, there's so many. I've done so much crap in my life. I try and do good things. In fact, I'm in a little bit of career trouble at the moment because I've had a few great jobs in a row that I've really liked and the end result have been great. I always like the work. Often the end result is crap. You, know, you can't help it. A bunch of really talented people in a room or on a job, and the, you, know, the, you know that old saying, a camel is a horse made by a committee. Mm. You know, so it so happens that I thought Star Trek was really good. I really liked it. I thought it death, was very, very I thought good. Death of Stalin was fantastic. Very, very rare to me. In fact, I could say never in 30 years have I had three or four jobs in a row that I've liked. And because of that, it's made me turn lots and lots of things down recently because I think, well, they're not as good as those things. I don't like them as much. The public won't like them as much, and I won't enjoy myself as much. And I just went on the Star Trek cruise in, uh, out of Miami. What was the Star Trek cruise? It's a cruise. Thousands of avid Star Trek fans go, and actors from every iteration of Star Trek go off for a week, and for an hour or two a day, you interact, do game shows, panel shows, talks, whatever it is. Uh, and it was thoroughly enjoyable. It was like being a red coat. And I did lots of comedy. I did comedy improv and I did various, you know, script readings and stuff. And I came back and I said to my wife, she said, how was it? Because I was slightly dreading it and I had a lovely time. I said, it was fantastic. I did this show and I did that show and I did a one-man thing. And she, she looked at me and I went, what? And she went, you've really got to go back to work. <laughs> uh, was... Uh... Bill Shatner on the Star Trek uh, Shatner cruise. will be coming next year. That'll be interesting. He changes the dynamic, apparently, socially, quite a lot. We've had a few spats, Bill and I, online. I wonder why oddly. I raised his name. Yeah, very, very Take odd. Take us through that. 
Do you think well, he misunderstood what you'd said? Uh, he's very sharp. I mean, he's 86 or something, but he's, yeah. he's absolutely sharp and lucid. Uh, so I don't think he misunderstood things. I'm not sure that he does all of his own online stuff or polices it himself. I think there might so well you, be you, you may, another personality involved. You think there may be somebody else who blocked you on Twitter? I'm pretty sure that's the case. So uh, the story is that you were, given, you were interviewed about whether there should be a cameo for William Shatner in as, as Star Trek one of, Discovery. Yeah, as one of thousands of interviews. When you do publicity for something coming out, you just days and days and days and days, morning till night, you do interviews with a million outlets. You know, at some point you go, have I just said this? What am I doing? Is it nighttime? Is it daytime? What country are we in? Anyway, at some point someone said, wouldn't it be great if Bill Shatner was in... Bill, like he's my mate. Yeah, you know? yeah B. Uh, if William Shatner was in uh, Star Trek Discovery, and I went, well, it would be weird because... It's set 10 years before the first show, when he was 26 when he did that, so I don't know how it would work. They had pulled out a headline, the way people do, saying, why I don't want William Shatner to be in Star Trek Discovery. It was obviously not what I said at all. In fact, whenever I talked about him, I'd say, he's the reason I wanted to turn it down. He's such, he was so magnificent, such a brilliant actor, I think, and very underrated for the stuff he did. But he had seen that, and so he blocked me on Twitter apparently, I'm told, because I don't follow him. I wouldn't have a clue if he blocked me on Twitter. Someone called me from CBS and went, Bill Shatner's blocked you on Twitter. We have to sort this out. And I went, why? Do we have to sort out? I don't care. I don't read his stuff and good, good luck to him. I don't know. Why has he done that? They said, well, because of something you said about not wanting him in the show. I said, did I fuck? Why would I ever say that? And they said, well, you, would you apologise on Twitter? And I went, no, of course I'm not going to apologise. This ludicrous playground nonsense. And so they persuaded him somehow to uh, rescind his blocking. And he said, Voldemort's blonde friend may now read my pronouncements or something. And they went, would you say thank you on Twitter? And I went, no, no. I'm not saying thank you. That's going to be the last time that I'm going to try. Ah, jeez, look at that. Oh, your souffle has arrived, and that is a rather beautiful thing. The tonka bean ice cream that okay. And it's, is that where it goes? It just yeah, it gets right inserted. Oh, hello. Interesting. Your, your souffle has been violated by the Tonka bean. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. strawberry on the sides, lime jam on top of it, and a crispy meringue on the edges of it. Beautiful. Thank Thanks you so much. Brilliant. So anyway. Shove that forward so you can try some of that as well, which is uh, just my way of getting into your souffle. Yeah, go uh, on. You go first. So I'm still talking. So uh, that happened, and then another one happened. Because I was at a convention addressing thousands of people and they you know, taking questions and they said, which is your favourite Star Trek? And I said, well, for me, it's the original series. So I learned everything there was to be about a man, uh, to be a man from, from William Shatner. I thought he was, you know, he was funny, he was sexy, he was correct. Well, not William Shatner, Captain Kirk. Yeah. Obviously, there's a difference. And he got a laugh. I didn't mean to make a laugh at his expense, but I just corrected myself. Next thing I know, there's, uh, there's William Shatner's Twitter feed says, who is this nobody taking pot shots at me? You know, slink back into the shadows. <laughs> and I went, really? God, that's hilarious. So I got a friend of mine to mock up a picture of myself and Shatner looking like Leo and Kate at the front of the Titanic and uh, with, you know, him with his arms around me and said, uh, let's be besties or something. And then he, he, or someone, in quotes, reached out and said, well, be, you know, let's put all this back... Bad feeling behind us. I'll be at the Birmingham Star Trek convention. It'd be nice to meet and make up. And I wrote back, that's funny. We've met on many occasions. How odd that you've forgotten so quickly. At which point he went very quiet. You mean so, you have met Shannon? Yes, many times. Yeah, yeah, I met him. I'm not sure he's aware that this Twitter feud is going on. Uh, and then he was on stage at the Birmingham Star Trek convention. And I just <laughs> grabbed a microphone and I marched on in the middle of him taking questions. I said, I've got a question. He, went, and he looked up rather shocked. He went, yes. And I said, can we hug it out? Can we just hug it out, Bill? And he went, he obviously had no idea who I was. Uh, and uh, I think, and we stood up, we had a hug, and I said, can we be besties from now on? Pinkies? 
And, uh, and I left the stage, and, and I think he turned... I, I suspect I lined him up for a good gag for him to turn to 5,000 people and go, who the hell was that? Uh, but they would have shouted out, Captain Lorca! So anyway, that's where Bill and I stand. I look forward to being on a cruise with him. You must try this. And uh, entering chapter three of our troubled relationship. Um, talking about your fans... Yeah. You apparently have a, a group of ladies who have appeared from all over the world? There's a couple of groups over the years who... Who've appeared and disappeared, but there is one core group of fabulous women who have been following me for decades, even in periods when I was just either not working or in some terrible dross. God love them. Uh, they're also, as well as being dedicated, they're very tech savvy. Although they're they're ladies, you know, in their sixties or older, and um, they set up various web pages at various different points. So I had online forums, which are you know, the envy of many of my friends who went, "How much are you spending on your on your You're online stuff?" And I go, "I'm nothing." And um, and at one point there was a who's the sexiest actor, poll on Empire magazine. I don't know if they tr- triggered some algorithm or if they did it themselves. Nobody is urinating at the table. That is the glass that's being filled with water. Actually, I'm quite, Thank you very I'm much. quite warm and hot and wet <laughs> under the table. But, <laughs> but anyway, they... Um, I didn't want to stop the conversation. They voted, I don't know, 100,000 times till their, their funds were bidding, and the, em- the editor of Empire, who's a friend of mine, phoned up and went, how did you get higher than George Clooney and Brad Pitt on this poll? And I went, I think it's four women in Florida. Thanks very much. So no, I, they came on the cruise and they've been to every location I've ever been at. They turn up and, and, uh, and they feel like members of the family. They're really fantastic. Well, I hope uh, you can get another game in to work off what I hope has been a good meal. It's been delicious. I've no idea what we said, but I apologise for anyone who has to listen. I will listen to you. Come round to my house and talk for two hours endlessly. <laughs> Do not apologise. We want them to listen. Um, Jason Isaacs, I always have to say this. Thank you for letting me take you out to lunch. Uh, thanks for taking me out to lunch. I really don't pay the bill. Do you want... Can I, Contribute yeah, to the tip. Yeah. You see these other people sitting over here, the producers. They pay the bill. Actors love free food. I just uh, can't get enough of it. Well, that was a very nice time indeed. Um, I hope you liked it too. And if you did, please rate and review it. I love, as a critic, being reviewed by other critics. And also do subscribe, and that way you will get every single episode as it's released. Uh, Out to Lunch was a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. It was brought to you by the combined talents of Josh Gibbs, Hester Kant, Selena Ream, Robert Abel, Darby Doris and Steve Ackerman. The music was arranged and played by me, Jay Rayner, on piano and Robert Rickenberg on bass. Next time... Reginald D. Hunter. Is this your first snail? Yep. I feel like I'm taking virginity. <laughs> ah! Are we down a snail? Yeah. Hang on, if it hasn't come out, it's still fine. <laughs>